The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. I'm going to pray, and then Joe's going to read our passage from Revelation 6. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fill us, we ask you. Open the eyes of our hearts, we pray, to see wondrous things out of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Revelation, chapter 6, 1 through 17. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And his rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over one quarter of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? First, an analogy. You want to read Revelation like a painting by a guy named Surratt. I'm no expert, but Surratt was a post-impressionist, and he painted an enormous painting, actually it's that painting, that hangs in the Art Institute of Chicago. The interesting thing about that painting is it's a massive painting. It's far bigger than this screen. It has no brush strokes. It is made up of little dots, little dots of color. So if the security guard allows you and you get really close to the canvas, 
you can zoom in with your eye on a particular dot and you can isolate a dot, but that dot doesn't make any sense until you come far enough back in that room and you see what all those dots depict. You see the big picture, the painting. With the book of Revelation, we have a tendency to get really close to the canvas and zero in on, on that dot right there. I want to know what that dot's about. In this passage, people say, well, I think the quote-unquote great tribulation starts there. No, it starts over here. Or they say, here, the scroll's open here. No, it's over here. Or we take every current event and we locate it at this dot here. The way to read Revelation is to back up and let the dots depict the larger picture. We're not going to hit on every dot today in Revelation 6. We're going to back up and we're going to see the larger painting, the larger picture for us that says hard times. It shows us hard times now, but God reigns and justice prevails. Don't get too close to the canvas. Catch the big picture and see hard times now, but God reigns. Know that God reigns and his justice prevails. In the end, when you see that big picture, it meets you right where you are. Do you need comfort this morning? Your soul in turmoil this morning? This big picture in Revelation 6 offers much comfort to you. Do you need to be jolted awake, spiritually speaking? Are you slumbering a bit spiritually today? This big picture can be like a shot of caffeine for your soul in Revelation 6. Or do you need to be warned today? Warned about the reality of eternity. Have you maybe put God on the shelf or turned your back to him as we all have at one point? This big picture in Revelation 6, it, it means to warn you to flee to Jesus and his love today. When you stand back and you see the big picture, we're going to see what the dots depict. Hard times now. But God reigns, and his justice prevails. Thank you, Kelly. See, in chapters 4 and 5, we peered into the throne room of God, and we saw a scroll. And that scroll contains God's redemptive plan and, and his holy judgments. His redemptive plan and his holy judgments. But that scroll was sealed with seven seals sealed with seven seals, and, and no one was found worthy to open the scroll. That's a big deal. William Hendrickson writes, if the scroll is not opened, it means there will be no protection for God's children in the hours of bitter trial, no judgments upon a persecuting world, no ultimate triumph for believers, no new heavens and earth, no future inheritance. 
if that scroll remains sealed shut. But then, you recall, the Lion of Judah appears as a lamb who was slain, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. He has the authority to break the seals and open the scroll. That's what's happening in chapter 6. As the lamb breaks each of the first four seals on this scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're famously called, are summoned as John adapts the vision of the prophet Zechariah. So let's look at that together. First, seal one is broken and a white horse is summoned. Notice verse two. Its rider, verse two, its rider had a bow and a crown, literally a victor's wreath, was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, some say this is Jesus here because Jesus appears on a white horse later in Revelation, but the horse's color is the only similarity to Jesus. This horseman is conquest. Conquest. As when one nation seeks to conquer Another, like when Russia invaded Ukraine not long ago. That's one manifestation of this age-old pattern of conquest until Christ returns. Seal two. Seal two is broken, and a bright red or blood red horse is summoned. Notice verse four. Verse four, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. This horseman is warfare. Warfare, and he has been galloping throughout the world, throughout human history. Think about just the 20th century, just the 20th century. World War I was called the war to end all wars. 17 million people died is what I understand, 17 million. Then, after the war to end all wars, we had World War II, when 60 million people died. And then there was, of course, the Korean War, Vietnam, and on and on to the very day and around the world throughout human history until Christ returns. And then seal three is broken, a black horse is summoned, and its rider is carrying a balanced scale. This horseman is called famine. Famine. This is the result of conquest and warfare. Famine. In John, uh, in chapter, sorry, in verse six, John hears of famine prices being announced for staple goods uh, for wheat and barley. They are jacked up 800% because of the famine. You think our inflation is bad? 800% inflation because of the famine. And then seal four is broken. A pale horse is summoned. Actually, it's pale green. The word there is the Greek word from which we get our word chlorine. It's a pale green horse. It's the color of a corpse. For this horseman is death. Death. And Hades, the grave, follows it. Notice in verse 8, verse 8, death and Hades are given authority over a fourth, a fourth of the earth's population. So people 
die by the sword, it says. By famine, it says. By pestilence, it says. Think epidemics. Think bubonic plague in the Middle Ages or COVID recently. In fact, it even says people die by wild beasts. Maybe a reference to Christians being killed in the Colosseum by wild beasts. These four horsemen are symbols. These four horsemen are symbols. They symbolize God's judgments on a Genesis 3 world. They are forms of judgment on human rebellion throughout the present age. That They are happening right now. Forms of judgment on human rebellion in the present age. Maybe also, as C.S. Lewis put it, maybe also God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But these earthly judgments are informative for us. Author Brene Brown, in a book I read, she describes the Stockdale Paradox, rather famous Stockdale Paradox, named after Admiral James Stockdale, who was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for seven long years. Afterward, Admiral Stockdale was asked, who didn't survive the prisons? Who didn't make it? Stockdale said, the optimists. They died of a broken heart. And then he said this, catch this. This is my point. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. You catch those things he's holding together? This is germane. Don't confuse faith to prevail in the end, which you must not lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. That's how these four horsemen help us. These four terrible horsemen are here in your Bible, one, to help us confront brutal facts of our current reality. They are saying to you and me, expect these things in this life. Expect these things. Expect conquest in this world. Expect warfare in this world. Expect famine in this world. Expect plagues and death until Christ returns. Expect those things. Confront those brutal facts so that we're not surprised when they happen. I'm not saying we should be hard-hearted about them or cavalier or calloused. I was thinking about the movie Princess Bride where the heroine is talking to the dread pirate Roberts, and she says, you mock my pain. And the hero playing the part of the pirate says, life is pain. Life is pain. Anyone who tells you otherwise is selling something. 
Well, there's truth to that, but that's a little too cynical. It's not just to say, life is pain. If you experience these things, too bad for you. Tough luck for you. Suck it up for you. No. No, people are suffering greatly throughout our world from these things. The the point here is not to be calloused or cavalier, but it does adjust our expectations so that we're not shaken by the brutal facts of our current reality. And yet, and yet there is here also faith to prevail in the end, as Admiral Stockdale put it. There's help to prevail. There's help to keep going. Help to be comforted right now. To be comforted. And where where is God in all of this in chapter 6? Where is God? He's on the throne. And this is continuing the throne room vision of chapters 4 and 5. He's still on the throne. In fact, did you notice the word given in this passage? Just just look at your Bible or your Bible app or listen. Verse 2, notice verse 2. Conquest was, quote, given a victor's wreath. Verse 4. Warfare is permitted, and it's the same word translated given earlier. Warfare is given authority to take peace from the earth. Verse 8, verse 8, death was given authority over a fourth of the earth. The point is that God is sovereignly allowing these things. He's still on the throne. This is a It's called a divine passive. God is is allowing these things. Now, is there mystery there? Yes. Do we have time to plumb that mystery? No. But should there be comfort here? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love how Holocaust survivor Corey Tenboom once said, quote, there is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. That's from someone who survived the Ravensbrück concentration camp. That's someone who knows about these four horsemen quite well. Her father and sister perished in the camps. Her brother succumbed to tuberculosis soon after the war. And yet she could say, with faith to prevail, there's no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. Be comforted. Adjust expectations and be comforted. So, seals one through four. Hard times. Hard times now. Hard times now. But then the focus shifts from earth to heaven. There's a shift with seal five. Look at verse nine, please. Verse nine. When he, the lamb, when the lamb opened the fifth seal, John writes, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain 
for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Now we're glimpsing into heaven as if glimpsing into God's temple and under the altar, John sees the souls of martyrs for Jesus. And they lament, they cry out a lament in verse 10. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Oh, this plaintive cry. Now, some will say that's not a Christian response. But this is the language of numerous psalms in the Bible. And the cry of every human heart that has experienced injustice. And notice in verse 11, they're given assurance, as it were. Verse 11, then they were each given a white robe, a white robe, and told to to rest a little longer until the number, the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. They're given white robes, symbols of purity in Jesus, probably the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith alone and told to rest a little while longer until the number of martyrs is complete. God is numbering each martyr. So their prayers for justice are being heard. There's comfort there. But also it would seem a bit of a wake-up call is being intended. A bit of a wake-up call for maybe slumbering Christians, you might say. Their martyrs are given a white robe, and that is an echo of what two churches were told earlier in the book. To Christians in the city of Sardis, Jesus said, you're a dying church. Strengthen what remains. Do the works you did at first. And then he says, the one who conquers, I give white garments. And the word is synonymous with robes. The one who conquers, you dying church in Sardis, you sleeping church, I give white garments. White robes. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Jesus says something similar to the wealthy, affluent, self-satisfied Christians in Laodicea. They said, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. I'm cool. Jesus says, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he says, buy from me, buy grace, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments synonymous with white robes. Come to me and get white robes so that you may clothe yourself with the shame of your, uh, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. You hear what's happening here? Those folks are being called out a little bit. Chapter six, the martyrs are given white robes. They were faithful unto death. Certainly a a wake-up for slumbering, self-satisfied Christians. They are promised the same if, if they wake up, repent, and endure. 
You know, Revelation is not just about comforting suffering Christians. It is, it is a wake-up call for those who might be slumbering. It's like cold water in the face. Here, they're reminded of the Lamb's reward. Here, they're reminded of the reward he gives to those faithful to the end. Here, they're reminded he's worth it. Wake up. He's worth it. Keep going. Wake up. He's worth it. White robes. Friends, do you need any of that wake-up call today? Happens. But have you, have you put your spiritual life on, on autopilot a bit? Are you like those in Sardis, needing to renew your faith in Jesus and do the works you once did? Are you like those in Laodicea who are satisfied with money and possessions and wealth, good gifts, but now you have little need for Jesus? Friends, let us us wake up and see the Lamb's reward and say, it's worth it. Then, the cry of the martyrs for justice is heard as the Lamb opens the sixth seal. Notice the result in verse 12. Verse 12. I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Verse 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Where are we now? The end of the world. Up to this point, it's been present. This is the future final day of judgment, the end of the world. The created world is unraveling here. Stars falling from the sky, sky rolled up as a scroll. This is apocalyptic imagery, symbolism for the end of the world. But you might think, Tab, this can't be the end of the world. We're only in chapter 6. Well, you need to understand the structure of Revelation. So, sidebar. The structure of Revelation, understand what's called recapitulation, which just means repeating. Revelation is repeating something. Revelation repeats the same time period over and over, the time between the first and second coming of Jesus. It repeats that time frame over and over in the sections ahead. But it shows that same time period from different perspectives. Dennis Johnson has a rather well-known analogy for this. He says, it's like watching a football game, and they do the instant replay, and they show the same play over and over and over and over, but from different angles. You ever find that? You watch a game later today, and there's some important play, 
And they'll show the same play, but maybe the, the pylon view from the, the end zone. And then maybe the line of scrimmage view. And then they've got like the bird's eye view and cameras overhead. And you'll see the same play from different angles, analyzed. And that's what Revelation does. It's going to show us the same play over and over. The time between the first and second coming of Jesus, but from different perspectives, different camera angles. And it builds. It builds in intensity. It builds and builds and builds. I like what Michael Kruger said in a, in a lecture I heard. He says, how many times can all the stars fall from the sky? Happens a few times. He says, if you don't embrace this recapitulation view, this repeating view, then Revelation is like a roller coaster of terror you can't get off. So it's not to be read as a chronological account moving through history. It's looping through the same play with different camera angles, and it's going to build in intensity, as we'll see. So we're at, here's the point, we're at the final day. This is the first camera angle on the end of the world. We're going to get more camera angles. Here's the first one. And those in high positions and low positions are terrified. Notice verse 16. They are terrified in verse 16. They call to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face or the presence, the presence of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. It is sheer panic. It is sheer panic as they actually try to do what the first humans did. In Revelation 6, they say, hide us from the presence of God. The very thing they did in Genesis 3, hide themselves from the presence of God. I think the point is, since Eden, humans have been trying to hide from God and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Oh, brothers and sisters, friends, guests, there will be no hiding on the final day. There will be no hiding from the wrath of the Lamb if we are not reconciled to him. If you have in some ways put God on the shelf as I did, turned your back to him as I did, this is a loving, loving, loving warning from God. A glimpse into the future. That you might hide yourself in Jesus today and his love. That you might hide yourself in his wrath-bearing sacrifice on the cross that we sang about that you might hide yourself in the one who in his first coming gave his life for you. That, that's the irony of this language. The lamb was slain for you in love, in mercy, so that you might not know the lamb's wrath on that day. Hide yourself in Jesus today turning to him, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God, to experience his love 
to know his mercy and grace. A lot of dots here. Step back from the canvas. Catch the big picture. Hard times now. Need to expect that. Hard times now. But God reigns. Know that God reigns and, oh, frighteningly so, his justice prevails. Wondrously so, his justice prevails. In the end, it is like J.R.R. Tolkien's book, Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo the Hobbit says of his own days, I wish it need not have happened in my time, those dark days. Maybe that's how you feel when you read this passage. I wish this need not happen, these horsemen. I wish this need not happen in my time. And Gandalf the wizard replies, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. So friends, I want to ask you as we close, what will you do with this time given to you? How will you respond to this? How does this big picture mean to meet you right now? Do you need comfort? There's comfort here. It's hard times, but God is on the throne reigning over all. His justice will be done. Be comforted today. Adjust expectations, be comforted. Do you, do you need a wake-up call? You've been kind of slumbering, satisfied in stuff instead of Jesus. Be awakened. See the Lamb's reward and realize he is worth it and draw near to him afresh. Be comforted. Be, be awakened. Or, or, friends, maybe be lovingly warned. Justice will prevail. The Lamb does return. We will stand before him. Today is the day to turn to him, to know his love now, not his wrath then. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.